my very best to get this job that I so crave. Ah, fan zone debate. We're here for the last match of round number one. It's been a long journey, but we're here. We're getting into round number two, but first we have one more match to shoot. And it is, uh, as far as the matches go, the most even records as we can get. We got the number eight seed going up against the number nine seed. Brandon Cohen, the eight seed, going up against the nine seed, uh, Caleb Coho. We saw Coho earlier this year. He lost in the contender match to Mr. Cody Newberry, uh, who went on to uh, play for the title. So there's that. And then Brandon. Also last match, a number one contender match. Lost against Bill, who went on to play for the title. So these guys have um, a lot in common when it comes to debate. This is going to be a fun one. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, we got Brian on the desk. Brian, how are you doing, my friend? I am doing great. Uh, I honestly don't remember either of these people's previous debates, even though I was there. So uh, it'll be uh, nice and fresh for me to watch some debate. Absolutely. And Cody, uh, current champion of this league you are here uh to uh to judge this one thank you for stepping in last minute how are you doing my friend i mean i have to kind of thank coho for like gifting me the shot to go um play kirk to win the belt that was nice um i can't wait for him to scream a question that he's very passionate about because you know that's what he does um but overall i'm excited to judge the debate it's getting closer the tournament's winding down to the round two now so we'll see how these two go uh brandon did really good and when he started had a fortune against bill but i think he can beat Coho if everything goes right so yeah should be fun yeah all right so uh we're gonna bring in the players now we're gonna start with the lower seated player uh mr coho co lower seated but literally it's one spot uh, you are in the number nine seed on the back half of the bracket. Um, do you feel like the underdog today? Do you feel like you have what it takes to beat Brandon? Um, or are you just here to fuck around and say, eh? I mean, I really have no idea what to expect from Brandon, if I'm being honest. Uh, I, um, I, I feel... I feel like I could either be in for an ambush or I could be in for a great game or, like, I don't know what's going to happen. So I just kind of focused on my answers and my prep and what I can do um, as a debater and, like, pushed, like, what his strategy might be out of my mind and just focused on what my approach is going to be. Um, and hopefully that works this time. Um Brian, you were at my last debate, and you were the only person on my side for most of that fight. So, so I, I do appreciate you, even though you don't remember. <laughs> I do remember that. I felt bad about that one afterwards. Uh, so we will bring in the higher-ranked player today, Brandon. Brandon, welcome uh, to the match. Uh, you're the number eight seed. Do you feel uh, prepared for today's match? Are you look okay? Are you looking? <laughs> get real <laughs> looking to get back uh to the number one contender shot um how are you feeling about the match i'm feeling all right uh my brain's a little mushy end of the day but you know i'm feeling pretty good um i'm already well more prepared than last match i actually watched some of the movies i was supposed to watch on like last match so that's that's pretty good um i'm a little worried cody's here because i have to say some bad things about some boston people and some of these questions but uh hopefully he can look past that and forgive me um, but you no, know, I'm I am here just to fuck around and see what happens. So 
he he likes the teams. He doesn't he doesn't live there. It's okay. Uh, so uh, we're gonna get into the match. This is how it's gonna work. Uh, the players drafted categories. I gave them questions based on the categories, and then uh, they gave me the answers back. They're gonna draft or they are going to debate those uh, questions tonight before our very souls. Uh, they're gonna get a one minute opening followed by a five minute free form followed by a one minute closing. At the end of the debate. Cody, Brian, and I will write on our boards who we think won the question and the debate. Uh, two out of three votes wins you a point, and the first one to three points wins the match. Gentlemen, any questions as we get into the debate? No. All right, then let's do this thing. There's so much more of that fight that happens, and every time I watch Ted, I'm like, oh, shit, that's right. There's, like, a whole more of the scene. Uh, let's get into it, starting with the first question. This was drafted by Brandon uh, in the category of sports. The question is, best character in a hockey movie? Non-fandom, but I don't think there's any fandom hockey movies anymore, so uh, that's... Uh, yeah, I don't think there are. Uh, so, Brandon, you're going to get to kick this one off. You have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. So, the enforcer, one of the most iconic positions in all of sports, in case you don't know. It's the guy who just is supposed to be on the ice and just his only job is to fight. He's just there to protect his teammates and just instill fear into the other team it's kind of a dying breed now you don't see it much anymore but you think of these it kind of become a stereotype of hockey players yes these meatheads as these one-dimensional people missing teeth who just want to fight and drink beer at the end of the day and then comes along goon and doug glatt's character in dune played by sean william scott is one of the most dynamic characters in sports movies and in hockey movies specifically um, he's playing the stereotypical character of this guy who can just fight. But then as you see throughout the movie and the second one, he's way more than that. He's a likable person. He has a big heart as long with a big punch. And he just wants to, you know, be, he's misunderstood and wants to just. All right. All right we'll bring in Coho. Coho, you have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. So I think the best character in all of hockey films is Herb Brooks, uh, the coach played by Kurt Russell in the movie Miracle. Um, I think when I look at hockey films, I look for the person that I can look to and relate to the most. I think Herb Brooks is that voice. He's that voice of reason. He looks beyond uh, what hockey players should be, what hockey teams should look like, and how hockey should be played to put together the right team, not necessarily the quote-unquote best team. And he inspires them to do the impossible. He believes in his people. Uh, he works them. Uh, out in the right way, he puts them through uh, through so much uh, practice and work, and changes the way that they do uh, prep for these hockey games, the way they approach it, so they could beat the Soviet Union in a game that they had no business even being in. Um, and he comes into this, Kurt Russell does as Herb Brooks, and just instills hope uh, and just this belief from the jump that I think is just infectious from any character in movie. Period. He's just one of those great all time sports 
figures. I think he's incredible. Time. All right. Herb versus Goon. Five-minute freeform. When one of you starts talking, please don't talk over each other. I will come hit you with a stick. Um, I will throw up the one-minute warning when that time comes. If one of you is talking too long before I hit you with the stick, I will throw up the let's move on. So, again, best character in a hockey movie. Five minutes when one of you starts talking. I, I see so, the floor to you. Thank you. So I love Miracle. I think it's an amazing movie. But I really think the problem with Herb Brooks for me is that he was a real person. And Kurt Russell's performance, it's like when I think of Miracle, I think of, one, the moment of the actual Miracle on Ice. But also this just the speech. He has a speech. He wins the game at the end. And he kind of just gets lumped in with, like, he's a good sports movie coach. And there's other people who did kind of the same things he did, like Denzel Washington, remember the Titans, um, you know, Gene Hackman and Hoosiers, even kind of the coach in major league, I think is more memorable to me than actual Herb Brooks. He just has that one big speech. And then he, you know, thankfully has that big moment to rely on. Then you, you know, you root for him because of that real life moment. So you just kind of made my entire point for me by pointing out that he's the definitive hockey movie coach. Uh, like when you look at hockey movies, which is what we're arguing, is the best hockey movie characters, there's no other coaches in any hockey movie that can hold a candle to him. And when you look at all other hockey movie characters, the people you're throwing him as cops to are some of the best characters in their respective sports versions of films as well. So when I think, yeah, he has the big inspirational speech, which like is just a defining moment. I think that is the complete emphasis for why he's a great character and why it's worth watching and investing in his journey is because that moment underpins entirely his his morals, his characteristics as being this champion of his players and of his people and of his sport, where when it comes to Goon, you were like, oh, he plays the stereotypical guy with a big heart. The thing is, that is all, in and of itself a character stereotype that I've seen before in this genre. That happens a lot. That happens in Miracle. So, like, there are other people who do that role, and I think he's just doing that again. They just made a movie centered around him instead of making him a supporting player. And there's nothing special about the character of of Black. Like, I just don't think he's that special, whereas Herb Brooks is the definitive rise above in his movie and all hockey movies. Well, I just think that, like, the fact that he gets his own movie, gets two movies, in fact, shows that he can't, that he is much more than this, these other stereotypical enforcers in the movie. They try to make enforcers likable in movies, but usually it's just the big punch. But they're able to make, you know, three hours, four hours of movies around this one character because he has all these sides to him, right? He, he's punching them and really saying, like, he does things that you don't see before. He's punching people in the face and apologizing for it. Like, he doesn't like what he's doing. He's just good at it. And he really, you know, has that internal struggle of like, do I keep doing this because I'm good at it? Or do I, you know, do something else? And he tries to, you know, actually play the game of hockey and gets in trouble for it. So he has, he wants to break out of this stereotype. He doesn't want to be like the other stereotypes and everything else. And, you know, just mentioning the other coaches, I just feel like, you know, there are other good hockey movie coaches, but it's just like, he just is, for me, it just doesn't do anything. It, like he just gets lumped in. This, when I think of he just gets lumped in with good performances, but as a coach, but just doesn't stand for me. That movie, just the moment itself is what stands out to me. But with Goon and Sean William Scott's performance, he anchors that movie in both of those movies. And that's the reason why you want to keep watching. That's the reason why they made multiple ones. So if we were arguing what the best hockey movie is, I mean, like if the arguments about hockey movies in the moment is what you want to take away over the performance, like I, I'm kind of confused about why your what your hits are on her Brooks, where it comes down to we're just arguing who the best character is, and your biggest knock on him is that he's good, he's like that he's a speech. good coach. Me, like, he's got, he got the speech, and that's it. 
Okay, but the speech is just the big moment. The rest of the movie around him, when he makes his first pitch to the Olympics committee about why he should be the right coach, and they're hesitant, but he convinces them. And then the moment where they play Norway, and they're convinced up with the girls in the crowd, and they're not focusing on the game, and he, like, talks to them, and he makes them do their workouts, and, like, is able to, like, refocus them on the sport. I think there's a lot of teachable moments with Herb Brooks that shows why he's a great coach and a great character to follow through at, through the eyes of this really dramatic tournament. Uh, throughout whereas again with goon you're like he has a big heart and he's likable but at the end of the day i don't know if i see that um i don't really see that in goon i feel like he has the one moment at the beginning with his brother and then the rest of the movie is just the one joke over and over it's just the one joke of, i'm gonna hit you and say i'm sorry and there's no progression from that even in movie two it feels like a retread of movie one well he tried i mean the progression is he tries like he actually tries to you know become a better skater be, 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 improve himself beyond just this one skill that he has He's trying to make himself a better person. He's trying He's trying to actually not improve it just his team. He's trying to improve his actual internal character as well. So it's not the same joke over, over again. They want it to be the joke over and over again, but then his character is trying to just break out of that and become more than just the punch. And he gets kind of batted down for it, but then over at the end, he wins the, for the, you know, for his team. And then, you know, he has, you know, these punches, but he's trying to break through that and I think that's just what makes him so good. Is that he's trying to is a stereotype. He's just trying to push that away. All right, um, Coho, we're going to start with you. You have one minute to close your argument when you start talking. So I think what we established is I think Brennan is correct in exactly one element. Herb Brooks stands above the rest of the coaches in his sport as being the best in those movies. And that's because he's such a good character. The speech is the thing people take away because it's the defining moment of him. But the rest of his moments throughout the movie where he like is to teachable to his coach, to his players, and he picks the people that are right for his team and not necessarily were the best scorers in the league. And I think that's what makes him such an interesting dynamic character. He's the definitive coach for hockey movies, just like Brandon said. Whereas he keeps bringing up that he like is against type of like being a goon but at the end of the day like even though the movie wants you to believe oh i got a big heart and like whatever he only has one scene that shows that and then he just keeps doing the one joke of oh i'm sorry and hits people like sure he tries to want to be a better skater but it's still the same thing that this character does for two straight movies he's still the same person he never really grows or progresses or changes outside of he learns to skate a little bit better he's still the same person in the first scene that he is in the end of the second movie and whereas Herb Brooks about this movie is such an inspirational force that we can look to, he gets the impossible done with his hockey team, and he's the definitive hockey movie character. Time. All right, we're going to bring in Brandon, who has one minute to close his argument when he starts talking. So my point with Herb Brooks is that he just get for me, he just gets lumped in with other sports coaches. And with Doug Glatt, he is just – there's a stereotype in hockey and Doug Glatt is constantly trying to break out of that stereotype. And he does grow. The character does definitely grow. He comes in, not knowing how to skate can only punch. And throughout the first movie, you see him grow as a person grow on the ice. He is trying to win. He, he doesn't want to win the game with his punches. He wants to win the game with his actual on ice skills. And that's what makes him so relatable to me. And one of the best hockey or the best hockey character in a movie, because he is trying to, you know, break out of that hockey role. He's trying to break out of that goon role, that enforcer role. And he does, and John William Scott's performance does an amazing job of like, he is lovable, he is likable, he's hateable at some times, but you can see he wants to be a better person. He wants to grow and he wants to do what he's not supposed to do and he wants to overcome. Time. All right. Bring in the judges.
All right. I, uh, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I don't know where my marker is. We're back. Uh, <laughs> I lost my marker. <laughs> Brand new marker for this. Um, I went with Caleb. Um, I think that both presented really good ideas and uh, points about their characters and why they were strong characters in their movies. Um, but I thought that on the whole, Koho was able to do enough to kind of take down the goon character for me. And I thought that Brandon kind of had the one trick of like the Cody disagrees with me so hard, clearly of the vote uh, or of the vote. Now I'm thinking just Cody voting against. No, I'll the, tell you um, what it is. It's not, yeah, not it's about you of, at all. of the speech thing. Um, I, I went with Cody. I thought that it was close. It honestly was close. And I know we say that a lot, but it was kind of like a back and forth the whole time. I thought Coho just did a better job on the, on the offense. Very cute puppy. Holy shit. What? Uh, Brian. Your vote. Uh, is on puppies? Are you going to change your vote based on the dogs now? All right. Um, yeah. So I was I was a little worried early on because there was some there was some early references to uh, the second Goon movie, and I know this being a player in a movie, we had to ignore anything from the other movie. But luckily, it was not it was nothing more than just references that a second movie exists. So that mm-hmm. turned out to not be a factor. Um, I did still end up voting for Brandon though. Um, I felt like uh, I think. Caleb did a good job of, of describing, you know, of making his character as like the definitive hockey coach, and that that is obviously a good thing, to be a good character in a movie. But I think that just by the fact that uh, Brandon's was uh, a fictional character and also uh, in a comedy, I think that 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 just kind of kept it gave his character more freedom, and he's able to do a lot more of the things like Brandon said, like you know, he can have the comedic moments for also the serious moments. You can create this arc for him, whereas you know, in, in Miracle, you're kind of dealing with the true story of it. And so I, I think that uh, Brandon made the better argument for me, but I think a lot of it is just because of the fictional versus versus nonfiction. I think that uh, Caleb's hands were a little tight on that one. All right, uh, Cody, you're deciding it. Uh, reason why I was laughing because you said on the whole, and it just made me think of Austin Powers. Preparation H does feel good on the whole. <laughs> uh, went on a tangent. Sorry. Um, I went with Coho. The reason why I went with Coho because I didn't think enough takedown is he's the ideal coach. I don't think there was enough, like, he is a speech, but I need a little bit more because Coho gave me more of why he is, and if there was counterpoints for that, I think there was more. I think it was closer than that, but, again, it was just not enough takedowns for uh, Kurt Russell's character versus um, – he gave me a lot for Goon, but I just don't think there was enough hits to take down. So that's why I want Coho. All right, Coho wins point number one. Uh, we are going to move on to the next question. It is in the category of DC. The question is, what is the best performance in a Superman movie that's not someone who plays Superman? Uh, so, Bran- er, sorry, Coho, you get to kick this one off. You have one minute when you start talking. So I think there's a lot of interesting directions you could go in Superman with characters for this question, but I think the one that worked best for me was Ben Affleck's version of Batman in BBS. I think ultimately that this performance of this character is the best in a movie that Superman is in uh, because it's so interesting. And we get a lot of time with this character to learn a lot about Ben Affleck's take on Bruce, how Bruce is 
so much more beaten and weathered and scarred uh, from just the opening with Superman taking up Metropolis to knowing that he lost to Robin to seeing all the people that he doesn't have a relationship much with anymore to the way he acts as Batman when he how much more violent he is how much more unhinged he is um, and how distrustful he is in the cowl versus even when he's out of the cowl and you see him as Bruce you still get to see the classic Bruce Wayne type come through but it's even different than what we've seen with other Bruce Waynes where it's it's a little bit more he's a little like he's charming enough to get in the door. And then he's also just a little off putting that you don't want to hang around with him too much. I think Ben Affleck rides such a thin line as Bruce and such a striking line as Batman that he's the best in a movie that Superman is in. Time. All right. Uh, we're going to move over to Brandon. Brandon, you have one minute when you start talking. When you think of good performances in superhero movies, specifically villains, specifically villains in Superman movies, you think of Lex Luthor. And when you think of Lex Luthor, you don't think of Jesse Eisenberg. You think of Gene Hackman. And I think his performance in the Christopher Reeve Superman movies is just one word is iconic. He is plays as a rich, narcissistic, egotistical billionaire who is clearly unhinged and you cannot look away every single time he's on screen. Gene Hackman is Lex Luthor. He shows moments of pure evil. He shows moments of comedy. He can light it, lighten things up with his wigs and everything. And the fact that they kept bringing him back in multiple Superman movies shows the longevity of the character, shows, I don't know, I'm not supposed to bring up sequels again, but he just does a, such a good job of being that heel that Superman can play off of and he's just iconic. Time. All right. Uh, Gene Hackman versus Ben Affleck. Five minutes when one of you starts talking. So I think the biggest issue with you picking a Lex Luthor is you picked the wrong one. I think Lex Luthor as a villain is much more interesting when he represents the worst in humanity and is not a Bond villain. So you should have picked Spacey. Uh, but I think Hackman in even just the first Superman is one of the more like disinteresting parts to that movie he's just a bond villain cartoon there's no depth to this there's no layers to gene hackman's performance he is on one level and i know we're not in all of the movies he's in i don't think any of the sequels are like a betterment to your point unless you want to admit he's like awful in quest for peace but like he's not an interesting character in any of the superman movies and it's not an interesting performance he's just the same whereas Affleck gives layers and depth to a role that we've seen done many times to make his own stamp on it and give us a new take on a character like that so my biggest issue with Batfleck is that for me his performance is it's kind of become a meme a little bit because one that movie's super boring I know we're not talking about the movie but that movie's super boring and for me that just drags down the performance you have the fights you have that one fight scene and that's like the shining moment but then it all comes down to Martha and that moment has become such a meme in popular culture that it kind of diminishes the rest of the character I mean I never really saw him as an equal to Henry Cavill they tried their hardest but it just didn't work for me I didn't see him as someone who could actually beat superman we all knew what was going to happen it was just so predictable that we all knew that you know he he got killed not even by him he didn't defeat him he came back we all knew this was going to happen and it just didn't do anything for me and for uh gene hackman we're talking about performance here we're only talking about the first movie because we made that mistake last time um yeah. or almost did and it's he's so against type for gene hackman you know of him as this great dramatic actor who you know ha has these great roles and like in Hoosiers another sports movie 
Um, and he plays this goofy character who's also super sinister, can be, you know, is narcissistic, just a complete psychopath. And he's just intriguing and compelling to watch. You're right. It's against type for Gene Hackman because in other movies, he's good. Uh, he's like a great dramatic actor. And in this, he is definitely cashing in as a boring cartoon. Um, and like, I don't think he adds anything to that movie whatsoever. I think that his henchman's more interesting than him. I think Ned Beatty's doing a better performance as his henchman than him. I think that the more interesting elements to Superman in that first movie come from everything but Lex Luthor. It's just sort of, he's an afterthought to that movie where he kind of really only shows up three-fourths of the way through and takes up 45 minutes and is like just kind of a plot device. Whereas you're entirely wrong. Batfleck does beat Superman. He literally beats Superman. And then the Martha moment, you can call it a meme, it's bad writing, but I think Affleck's performance in the Martha scene is still compelling. Even in the form of the performance, the way he yells about his mom makes you actually take a brief pause and you're like, whoa, that's a lot of emotion out of this guy that I haven't seen him crack like this in front of anyone. Like, I think throughout the movie, you can not like the movie, but I think the shining example of why there's at least something interesting to watch is whenever Batman's on screen, he's the best part. Whenever Ben Affleck's on screen, he's worth watching because he's adding different layers with his, uh, when his performance off of Jeremy Irons with Alfred, where he's like, if there's even a 1% chance that he is, uh, could be evil, we have to take it as an absolute truth. Uh, the way that at the party, he plays up with Bruce Wayne, how he plays off of Wonder Woman. I think that he interacts with everyone differently and adds such a nuance as a broken Batman, not just like a physically broken Batman, but as an emotionally and mentally exhausted, beaten man who is so filled with anger. And he comes through as someone who still has a little bit of hope in him. It's just he doesn't believe that Superman's good, and he does beat Superman. So I mean, you're issues with the writing in the movie, but Affleck's the best part of this movie. He, yeah, he's the best part of the movie, but being the best part of the worst of a bad movie doesn't really say that much. I think everything you're saying is what they wanted you to take away from the movie. They wanted you to take this movie, but me just watching his performance, I just didn't get that from him. I don't think, you know, he didn't portray it like they wanted this dark, gritty Batman who's dealt with loss and dealt with everything. But I just kind of like, like many people just kind of saw... Ben Affleck with a you know with a mask on. There was some really cool Batman moments in it, but for me, just all of the you know emotion that they that's what they wanted you to take from the movie. I just never really took that away from it. See, but I think Ben Affleck conveys more with his eyes than Hackman does in anything in his performance. Like I think Hackman just showed up and thought he was in like no like in the Spy Who Loved Me. Like I just feel like here's the thing you say batflick is the best part of my movie but i'd rather be the best part of a bad movie than the worst part of a good one because gene hackman's the worst thing in superman 78 just full stop because he adds nothing he is not interesting and all he does is he adds like a mustache twirling thing to this movie that before this is this really like interesting character study of a guy and why he's a hero all right, all right. uh brandon you get to close first on this one you have one minute when you start talking So Superman is this iconic, iconic franchise character, and he's nothing without a villain. And when you think of villains, you think of, like I said before, Lex Luthor. And Gene Hackman, for me, is just the perfect Lex Luthor. Yes, he can be a clown sometimes. Yes, he can be evil sometimes. He's a psychopath. He's all over the place. But that's what makes him so interesting and so you know, exciting to watch. So, you know, it's, so, you know, sometimes being a Bond villain isn't a bad thing. I think... You know, looking at Superman or you know other comic book character villains, they try to be you know, super serious sometimes. They try to be too goofy sometimes. And I think Gene Hackman just does the perfect 
job of towing that line of being super over the top goofy, but also super serious and a good heel to Superman's character. And that's why I think he is the best performance because Ben Affleck's, you know, honestly a little forgettable. His performance itself is overshadowed by the Martha moment and just that cool fight scene that he has halfway through the movie. But other than that, nothing really stands out to me. All right, so we're going to bring in Coho. Coho, you have one minute when you start talking. Lex Luthor is supposed to represent the worst in humanity as the exact opposite of Superman who represents the best without being a human. Lex Luthor is supposed to be cunning, intelligent, able to manipulate the public, but Superman sees through that and put up a facade. And that's not what Gene Hackman does. That's what Kevin Spacey does. Gene Hackman instead comes in with a one-note version of a Bond villain performance. You say a Bond villain's not bad. It's bad when it's not in a Bond movie. Because in Superman, he's playing the Jude Hackman did not read the script of who this character is and comes in and plays someone that he's not supposed to be. He's not interesting. He's not funny. He's not even better than other like his henchmen in this movie. He's not better than Terrence Stamp, who is in the first 10 minutes and gone. At the end of the day, Gene Hackman fits more into Batman and Robin than he does Superman. Whereas Batfleck here actually elevates a movie that is not good. He makes an interesting character out of something that I've seen a million times. And you can say the Martha moment overshadows him. I think Affleck's performance is what we're talking about. And in Affleck's performance, he delivers somewhat something I've never seen. Pain in Batman's eyes. Real pain. Real anguish in every scene, in his emotions, in his decisions. And his eyes say more than Hackman does in his entire performance. All right. We're going to bring in the judges. <sighs> I'm here. It's too good to take up a camera. I I love every time Cody judges my debates because Superman's been here like almost every time, and it gives him anger. I'll explain. Okay, um, Cody, you're kicking this one off. Okay, um, so. There's a lot of issues I have with a lot of the debate overall. Like, I think Brandon finally saved it for me when he said that a Bond villain isn't a bad thing. And if you think of a lot of super, like a superhero, it is. Again, I Coho knows me well enough. I don't buy the bullshit of you can hit more in his eyes than Hackman's doing in the entire movie. I just don't buy that stuff. Like, that's something you're just selling. I think the Martha moment, regardless of what you see, is a huge hit on Affleck. And I think Brandon did attack it and i think the best thing is you described it in a certain way but his counterpoint is that's what they wanted to come across but it never came across for a lot of people and i think brandon got it for me on that i just think overall he was able to sell me on hackman being goofy being silly and yes i guess if kevin spacey is the best choice maybe kevin spacey should have picked over ben affleck but that's my opinion uh i'll go next um i went with brandon uh i thought that um this is tough i don't love i i i like 78 superman quite a bit but um i i, I don't I, I feel the same about both of these movies so i it was even playing field from that regard um and I just thought that, yeah, I kind of agree with Cody. I think that Coho did a really good job of, like, trying to paint the picture of, like, Ben Affleck is doing a lot more than maybe is, like, on the surface. But I think Brandon kind of just nailed the, 
head of like you might say that the Martha moment is like it goes beyond that, but at the end of the day, that's what it boils down to is a moment like that that isn't believable and he's not good in. And Hackman is kind of fitting the movie that he's in. And being a Bond villain isn't a bad thing, especially at the time that the movie came out. So it was this one was close. This one really genuinely was close. Um, but I thought Brandon's closing was a lot stronger than Coho's. So um, I went with Brandon. So Brian, your vote doesn't count. Where would you have gone and why? Um, well, I, I think uh, Coho did not do a good job of convincing me. Like all of his knocks against uh, Hackman and Superman 78 saying how he was like the worst thing about the movie how Beatty was doing better, things like that. I, I, he did not convince me of any of those things at all. Um, however, he did still get my vote because I thought he did a much better job for me of uh, explaining why it was a better performance. Um, because even though he, he didn't, you know, knock Hackman really enough, um, I think that he did a far better job of supporting his pick. Especially he was talking about how you know Affleck comes into this character that has like this history behind him, and he shows like this pain. He's a, I think he's described as a broken and beaten man, and just he was able to kind of really kind of express that 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 history of the character and the weight that's on his shoulders and then uh he just painted a really good picture of that performance for him all right is it brandon versus caleb or cody and tim versus brian we will find <laughs> out after the next question but uh we're gonna move on to question number three this was drafted by brandon it was in the category of disney was it or was it yeah, it was Disney. Nineteen, I think nineteen ninety. Yeah, nineteen nineties Disney. Whoops. Uh, what song from a nineties Disney film has aged the worst? Brandon, you get to kick this one off. You have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. So there's a lot of you know Disney things that haven't aged very well. Um, a lot of things, but one that stood out to me was the song Gaston and I was listening to it and just some of the lyrics like no one says no to Gaston it just doesn't seem like the and then the, all the you know people around him the townsmen are singing the same song like oh yeah you're so tough and macho and this doesn't seem like the type of message we want to tell our young boys or girls that being super macho and work out it doesn't matter if women say no to you you just take them anyways and the whole town would like you. If you just spread these rumors about yourself and just act super cool. And I think just in this day and age with everything we're seeing, you know, with the fem new feminist movement and things like that, it's just spreads toxic masculinity. And this song was responsible for that horrible ec epidemic that we're dealing with today. And there's just really no place for it. Just having people be like, oh, I'm big and tough and macho. I'm gonna grab all the girls and make them mine. It's just kind of weird right. and gross. Gross. Strike it from the record. Uh, no. we're, gonna bring, we're gonna bring in Coho. Coho, you have one minute to open your argument when uh, you start talking. I think there's a big difference between a song that supports a terrible character and being like, hey, look how terrible he is by making fun of him, by being this is what a macho person is and that's not cool. But we'll get to that in the main rounds. The one I'm gonna talk about is a song that actively is super, super harmful. It's a song that lyrically feels mean-spirited. Even if it makes sense within the plot of its movie, it feels too mean to both sides where it's both people, all the people represented, the natives uh, in the song look like aggressive, mean-spirited people and look the way the song wants them to make you look, which is not what the rest of the movie represents or shows. Whereas it also shows all the settlers 
and at, not a single one of them look good out of it either. So like, there's not. I don't know what the point of this song ends up having to the movie because there's no necessarily need for savages in it. Instead, savages for Pocahontas just comes off as someone really, really, really liked one refrain and didn't think about what it was saying, and it's me. Time. Okay. I'm gonna give a fair warning. <laughs> Sounds like it's gonna be a politically charged debate. Let's keep it as family friendly as possible. Uh, as hard as hard as that might be, it's a fair fair choices on both sides. But remember, we're not a political show, so keep it easy. But also do what you need to do to win your debate. Um, fair enough. So five minute free form when one of you starts talking. Okay, so I want to jump in right away because you started by saying Gaston is like supporting toxic masculinity. I think that is entirely the wrong read of Gaston. What I think the song Gaston serves in the context of the movie is showing all the people in this town. It supports what is the point of Belle earlier, which shows this small-minded provincial town of people are obsessed with the stereotypical Disney prince guy. But he's gross, and he's scary, and he's not a good guy. He's really, in the sentence of Beauty and the Beast, the beast. And that's really, I think, what that song is underpinning, what Alan Menken and Howard Ashman are going for, is to show you, like, they're hyping up this guy. But all of them are mustachio-twirling bad guys singing about, like, look how great this guy is. And the song is making fun of Gaston more than actually saying, look how great he is. Where, again, I feel like Savages doesn't serve a purpose to its story, which has so many great songs and really good moments in Pocahontas. This just comes off as a weird sidetracked ugly moment for everyone involved but so you kind of made my point earlier you said it's mean and it paints the settlers in a bad light and i think that's kind of the whole point of the song like it's supposed to be it's about these people being i'm against racism by the way i just want to throw that out there um okay, it's about these people okay, too. okay good uh yeah two white men <laughs> talking about misogyny and racism yes. cool but anyways um it's offensive it was offensive back then it's offensive now and i think that's why they wrote it disney movers were kind of darker back then and they wanted to portray these settlers as a bad guy would you listen to it just as like a song no probably not but musicals and songs in musicals need to have context and i think this did actually a pretty bad job a good job of showing that the settlers were bad people. And you can listen to the later songs, Pocahontas says, am I just a, in Colors of the Wind, she goes, am I just a savage? So like, like you can see that these people who actually still exist today are having an effect on her. But meanwhile, in the song Gaston, they're just pumping up this dude and being like, oh, you're so great. You're so grand. And he believes it. And kids who watch it, they know they are like, oh, they're on Pocahontas' side. They know like, these aren't just savages, they're, they're real people. I would show this to my students and I would show, they would see the racism and they'd be like, like, like people didn't actually say that type of stuff, but they did. And I think that's a good thing that Disney did is throw something like that into the movie. Something that's real that you can actually be like, that's terrible, but that's the point. See, but I think there's a difference in the execution. I don't necessarily think what you're saying about the function of what that song could be is necessarily wrong. I think about the content of it is mean spirited. I think that there's a way to still, if you need that song to do it without getting as, as nasty as some of the lyrics get. Whereas I think that there's a way to still show the settlers as bad because they do earlier. 
with like the song where they get there and the gold and the settle. Like that shows them that they're bad. I don't need another one to show me that they're bad. I know they're the bad guys. And like, I already have understood that from the beginning. So I feel like this song serves no purpose. My real issue is not necessarily with the settlers looking bad. It's that the native Americans in it have the same rage as the settlers and also show the same sort of like non understanding and it feels a little tone deaf. It feels like these characters suddenly become bad guys in this song out of nowhere. And that's what I don't like. I feel like Savages is a little too mean and doesn't thematically fit some of the characters and the ideas they're going with. Whereas again with Gaston, Gaston is a parody of what the Disney Prince is. And the song adds to that. It builds off of Belle where like they're like, I need six eggs. That's too expensive. And then in Gaston, it's when I was allowed to eat four dozen eggs. And it's like, okay, so this guy clearly doesn't care about anyone else around him. And they're obsessed with him, even though he's a bad guy. And they're all bad people. The song is all about bad people. Yeah. Okay. So I think you make some pretty good points. But the thing about with the question is, is aging the worst? And I think Savages, we've talked about it. It could be mean. It is, you know, offensive. It is racist, but that I say that's the point. And it was, it's just been, you know, problematic back then. No one really had a problem with Gaston now, but now we're seeing in this culture with toxic masculinity that like, it's not really a parody. Like that people actually like that really exists. So like, I, it just doesn't look good going back and watching it. You're kind of like, it's kind of gr- listening to it. It's kind of like, yeah, racism was gross back then, but it's like listening to it now with this macho Disney Prince, it's like, no, it is kind of gross. And it not only harms that movie, but it kind of harms the Disney Prince stereotype in general, like listening to all the other Disney princes. Now you're like, oh, it's kind of weird and gross. I think that's the point. It wants to hurt the Disney Prince stereotype, but I'll get to the rest of my thing, my closing about it. But like, I think you're wrong. Sorry. <laughs> I think in the terms of aging worse, I think Gaston's actually aged super well, because if Gaston's not in that movie, I feel like that every point you make about Gaston is would be valid about that movie if the song Gaston didn't exist. I think the song Gaston works with the context of the rest of the movie and even on its own as every line they say about Gaston is not something that anyone would feasibly say about a human being as a positive. Everyone in the song is a like crazy person. And that's what the song does. The song makes fun of toxic masculinity for the entire run to the point where I think even today, when you look at it, it's like, show that to people who have toxic masculinity, it knocks them down a peg. And you're always going to have people who don't understand the point of messages. But I think Gaston's message is inherently positive and progressive. Whereas Savages, I think, completely has no point within its story, within its movie, and in its wording. I think it comes off too harsh and too pointless, where you can do it, that message, and make it not racist. Like, you can make it easier. Time. Okay. Uh, We're going to move over to Brandon, who has one minute to close when he starts talking. So I think my thing is like, unfortunately, racism does exist. It existed back then, it exists now. And they, I think Disney, you know, they needed a way to introduce or have these villains be horrible, Pocahontas. And it gets to Pocahontas, she's like, am I just a savage? Am I just brown? Like she has in her other songs, she sings out past through this song. It's not a song you're going to play, but I think it, you know, it does a good job of like, making these hateful characters because you know they were, did these terrible things i think they did a good job like it's not racist in like the aristocats where they had an asian character with, with you know with 
I don't want to, I'm trying to be careful here, but you know, saying certain things, it, it is racist in a way that's real. People actually talk like that. And people still do. I think with um, Gaston, they made this character. Everyone's like, no one, you know, she'll, uh, you can't say no to Gaston and just this toxic masculinity character that everyone in the town loved. And like watching it now, it's just kind of gross and slimy and just, just doesn't work for me. I would like to thank the players. That was really well. That was really well done, actually. I thought Cody disagrees with me. No, no, it, it was good. I just felt like on a roller coaster, like holding on to my feet for the entire time. I'm just saying that it sorry. Imagine been in this debate. Oh, um, yes. Yeah. So also, imagine, fire. imagine how we felt trying to make the points. It was tough. Yeah. Okay, I actually need to think about this. So hang on. Maybe I didn't think long enough. Shit. Well, I'm just—I oh, yeah. have my gut reaction, and I'm just going through everything. Oh, like going through the drive-through, and like that's gonna hurt my stomach later. Preparation H does feel good on the whole. Such a great movie. I'm glad you didn't, that next question, I'm glad you didn't pick air, because I haven't seen it. I still have it. So I'm glad you didn't. Actually, I was fine with it. Okay, I'm going last, I think, right? Thank God. Brian, you're starting. All right. So, this is one when, when I've just seen the picks and seen both their introductions, I was a little worried because, like, both of them, I think both with Gaston and Savages, I don't think... Either of them offhand would age badly just because they aren't you aren't meant to agree with their point of view or what they're saying. They're the the viewpoints are basically essentially the villains. And so it's like, no, you don't think that Gaston is, is a good thing to be toxic, and you don't think in the way he treats women, and you don't think they should look at people as savages. Um, but and, and that did get addressed in the argument. I like that. I know, especially Caleb, I know brought that up a lot. Um so I did end up going for Caleb. Um I, I just think that he did a better job of kind of attacking Gaston kind of for those same reasons. We're saying like, you know, it didn't age badly because it's not glorifying this. The song was never saying this is a good way to treat women. It's never, you know, trying to portray that as a good thing. Um, whereas in his, he was able to defend it some saying that even in the song, you know, it made everybody look bad. It made even even the even the natives, it made them look like, you know, the, these angry people and everybody instantly hated each other in savages. So, went for Caleb. Cody. Um, so when you're picking the debate, sometimes it looks like you have the wide open three pointer and you're just able to take the shot, but you don't notice somebody coming from the side about to smack the shit out of that ball. That was Brandon for me. I think overall savages on paper is the slam dunk, like home run because of the culture, like as it is now, what it looks, but Brandon's description of this is how those this is realism that Disney put into their movies. It's not great, and it's not a great side of history. But it didn't have anywhere to age because it's the history of how these people interacted. Well, Gaston, I think, is a bad choice personally. I still think the way he was able to spin zone it where it could look terrible for some people because some things that I see looking completely fine, some people have a huge problem with. So I think how he spun zone it 
made a lot of sense because I mean you can go back and how he said it. All they that's how they treated each other back then. So um, that's why Brandon won. But I so thought it was ninety ten the other way before the questioning when we were starting to read. I hate this. Uh, <laughs> I hate being the deciding vote. I like being able to look at the other people and going, you get to decide this one. They go, great. <sighs> I feel like I looked at this a little differently than when Brian was talking, like saying, I feel like I looked at it a little differently in the sense that I thought that both players did equally well in the sense that I thought Brandon was able to convince me because I agree with Cody going into it. I was like, Savages is, is going to win. That's like, that's the game. Like just based off the titles. <laughs> like, I feel like that's the winner. Brandon was able to convince me why Savages in the context of the movie is actually like not bad. And Coho was able to explain to me very well why Gaston in the context of the movie is not bad. So they equaled each other out there. And then it kind of came down to, well, who was able to kind of explain why theirs was just a hair more incorrect, I guess, at the end of the day, or hasn't aged well at the end of the day. And I've said it twice. I'm sorry. It is so close. Like you saw how long I was thinking about it. I went with Coho. Uh, I thought, and I and I really didn't expect it going into it, but because I think Gaston's like one of my favorite Disney songs. Like I love that song. And Brandon did do it. I pointed out things that I never thought about before in that song. Um, but I think Coho was just more easily able to tell me why his song just on the slightest edge doesn't work versus Gaston does work for the character. It was, it, it was so hard to pick this one for me. And I didn't expect that. Like I said, I literally thought going into this, it was like, like Cody said, 90, 10 one way. And Brandon made it up so close in a way that I didn't expect. It, it literally forty nine fifty one to the point where I, I don't even fucking know, man. Like, but Coho gets the vote. I wrote his name. I wrote Coho of the Caleb's on my board. So, uh, fuck. We're going on to the final prep question. It's in the category of director, I believe. Is that correct, Coho? Great. The question is. What is the best performance in a Ben Affleck directed film? Uh, so, Coho, you get to kick this one off. You have one minute when you start talking. I just want to say, Ben Affleck's a great director, and you all should give him a little credit because what he's able to do with actors is great. And I think the best work he's ever done by bringing a performance out and getting the best performance out of any of his movies is in the movie The Town, where Jeremy Renner comes in and hits the home run of his career. I think Jeremy Renner in the town is giving a performance that is so terrifying. As someone that I think you could believe would be your best friend, who would absolutely stand by you through thick and thin, but would also, if you crossed him, shoot you in the head. 
I think Jeremy Renner comes off as unhinged, untrustworthy, but very, very, very emotional and loyal to the people he grew up with. And then when you get into the minutia of the heist and can he trust Ben Affleck anymore and those emotions, I think it brings out an even bigger layer to Renner where he's like, I won't hurt you, but I don't know if I can trust you. And it's still where you just don't trust the wild card that Renner is in the town. An incredible turn from him. He got the Oscar nomination for a reason. Great work from Renner. Just had to bring up the Oscars. Uh, okay, let's go over to uh, Brandon. Uh, one minute uh, when you start talking. Okay, so most kidnapping movies, you're moved by the parent, the mother, the father of the child. That's like the character that really grounds you and want you to bring this child home safe and sound. Can't wait for the child to be reunited with the parent. But here, that's not the case. And Gone Baby Gone. You're unsure about that because she's like the least likable mother in the history of cinema. And that's all thanks to the amazing performance done by Amy Ryan, who's playing completely out of type here, as I knew her from The Office before I saw this movie. She's completely different. And she has, you know, this despicable character, does a great job with the accent, really believable addict who, you know, just you can you believe she'll put anybody the money drugs just her own happiness ahead of her uh, um, ahead of her daughter and that's what makes it so you know compelling she's the only nomination from or the academy awards from this movie even with a short amount of screen time i think it's just a testament to her performance time also mentioning the oscars interesting uh five minute free form when one of you starts talking the best for the reason so here's the issue with Amy Ryan. It's a very we're-in-one-lane performance. She comes in in the first scene, and she's that person the entire time. Is it, like, a very, like, somewhat entertaining drug addict performance? Sure. But it's not different than any... Like, I saw Andrea Riseborough do the same thing better in 2 Leslie last year. Like, I feel like other people have taken this ball and run with it better than Amy Ryan does. So she's not giving me anything unique or special, especially within the scope of Ben Affleck's directed work. There's a better version of this in the town with Blake Life. Like, I feel like there are better versions of this character that come across in other Ben Affleck films, whereas the Jeremy Renner stands head and shoulders above everyone else Affleck's ever directed as giving me such a layered and intense performance that no one else in an Affleck movie has been able to replicate on their own. So uh, I disagree because, and like going into this movie, Gone Baby Gone, I didn't really know what it was about. I knew it was about a kidnapping, right? So the entire time I was watching this movie, I was expecting the mother to be a likable character, empathetic character, because that's what you always get. And in the beginning of the movie, you think that a little bit. And then the next time, you, every time you see her, you don't know what she's thinking. You think that, you know, sometimes, you know, when she's on camera in the beginning of the movie, you're like, oh, she actually misses her daughter. Then halfway through, like, maybe she doesn't. And then when she finds out she's dead, you're like, oh, maybe she does. And the reason for that and that performance is kind of what makes the ending worthwhile. If, if, if you know, if, spoilers if you haven't seen it, um, they find out who kidnapped the kid and they're thinking about, let's just leave her with him because she's such a terrible mother. And I think if Amy Ryan doesn't give that performance, the movie doesn't work. If she doesn't give that performance of, you know, unhinged drug addict who maybe, and then afterwards when she's finally reunited, you're like, you're seeing her like, Oh, maybe they made the wrong decision. She's just playing both sides. Does she like, does she even like the daughter? Does she love a daughter. You don't know. Does she love herself from the end. She stands out on the screen for Jeremy Renner. I think he's great in this movie. 
but he also has an amazing cast to work with. Amy Ryan's kind of working alone in this movie for most of it. She's talking to herself for most of this movie and she stands out above, you know, um, uh, Ed Harris and um, Morgan Freeman and just, you know, is this movie. For so me. I hard disagree with that. I think Ed Harris is dunking on her in this movie as is Morgan Freeman. And I think that Gone Baby Gone has, ar has arguably as good a cast as the town. I think that the issue is I know what Amy Ryan's thinking from the beginning. I just don't believe your statement whatsoever. Uh, she's a terrible mom from scene one, and she's a terrible mom at the end, and there's no point throughout this where I think that she ever cares about the kid. The only times that we're meant to, we are supposed to, is when like news people try to project it, and even in the news interviews, she still comes off as the exact same Amy Ryan character. Amy Ryan does the same thing in all five of her scenes. It's the same, like, I'm cursing, and I'm angry, and I don't trust you. And she's playing off of Michelle Monaghan and Casey Affleck, who are great actors. And, like, everyone in this movie is do making Gone Baby Gone the suspense that it is. Amy Ryan is not working alone. She's not even working for herself. She's not as interesting as you paint her out to be whatsoever. The script is doing all the heavy lifting. Where it comes to down to the town, yeah, it's a great cast. And within that great cast, Jeremy Renner stands above the best, which I think is more impressive. Jeremy Renner is the reason to watch the town because when you get to the heist at the end, he's the wild card that could blow it all up. He's the reason where Affleck doesn't know if he's going to live at the end. And when at the end of the movie, you see Affleck uh, watch Renner confront Ham, you're terrified because you have no idea what's going to happen in this interaction, how it's going to hurt Affleck. Affleck's so close to getting out, and he has Rebecca Hall to worry about, who Jeremy Renner, when he meets Rebecca Hall, is close to realizing the relationship there, and then you're scared for Rebecca Hall's life because you don't understand, like, Jeremy Renner comes off as the world's best friend to Ben Affleck, but then you know how terrifying and unhinged this guy can be. He's so violent that you're like, Affleck is walking in direct opposition to Renner, and he can't let Renner know because Renner will kill people. And I think that's what's entertaining and interesting is that he defines the town with his performance. Amy Ryan does not define Gone Baby Gone. Gone Baby Gone is defined by twists, great screenwriting, and great directing. Amy Ryan's just a frosted flake kind of like sprinkle on top of the story. Like she's well, fine. She, I mean, she's the whole, I think she's the whole reason for why the decision is difficult in the first place. If you don't have, you know, if you don't, if you don't have, this mother character that is even compelling, but just a forgetful mother, like whatever, just forgetful. But she has these moments. She's not one one dimension. She has these moments, and again, she stands out. I feel like she stands out on her own. Hey, she's you know, she's working with Michelle Monaghan. She's working with Casey Affleck. They're fine in this movie. They don't. They're just kind of like just being Boston. I think Jim Renner has a lot more to lean on in his performance. He has Ben Affleck. He has John Hamm. He has um, Blake Lively. He has all these characters that he can kind of push up. And I think, you know, Amy Ryan just stands out on her own. All right. Uh, Brandon, you get to close first. You have one minute when you start talking. So we're going with just performance here. And for me, the performance-wise is a performance can make or break a movie. Jim Renner is good in the town. I'm not, you know, maybe the best part of the movie. Sure. But for me why gone baby gone works is solely because of amy ryan's performance you take her out it doesn't work at the end of the movie you actually like going into a kidnapping movie you want to be like reunite the, the mother or the kid with the mother this mother is horrible so at the end of the movie you're like wait maybe you don't reunite the kid with the mother right it's something you never would even think about before but that's because of the amazing performance by amy ryan who is doing something that i haven't seen her do before i've seen her play mothers i've seen her play comedy i've never seen her do anything like this before a drug riddled you know has strong accent and her it, it, 
her choices that she makes is entirely why you want to leave them with Morgan Freeman. And that's something you never would have thought going into this movie. <gasps> Spoilers. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we'll go over to Coho. One minute when you start talking. Again, that's not at all on Amy Ryan. Because Amy Ryan, if we're focusing on just the performance, is serviceable. This film is built on the twists, the mystery, the intrigue. And when you get to the end and you find out it's who it is, and the entire debate comes down to just because of how good that person is in the movie. The person that they could leave him with is a good person earlier. And, like, that's not because Amy Ryan's so good at being a bad person or that X is so good at being a good person. That's the dilemma that Ben Affleck as a director has created. Amy Ryan is fine. She's serviceable. She does the same thing. She's a drug-addled mom, and she does the same thing in all five scenes where she's like, I'm coked out, and I think my daughter is missing, and you need to bring her back to me. And, like, it's the same scene. She does the same scene five times. And it has nothing to do with her performance, why you feel that way. It has everything to do with the story and the way Ben Affleck crafts that story and everyone else around her who is better. Jeremy Renner is the talent. Again, you didn't knock anything I said about Renner. Renner is the best part that makes that the tense thriller that it is that you're unsure about the ending. Time. All right. We'll move over to Brandon. Or no, we already did Brandon. My God, I'm losing my mind. Uh <laughs> Uh, we'll bring in Brandon and Coho. Um, okay. Can I hold what somebody said on another show they recorded against them? No, but you can bring it up so that I can know what you're talking about. Thank you. Okay. Oh, I get to go first. Great. So excited. Hey, you want to go like first? You want to go last? What do you want to do? Why are you on the show? What are we doing? <laughs> I like going second, frankly. <laughs> then make yourself go second. This is the Tinder show anyway. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm going with Brandon. Um... Thought this was good. Um, I think it was a lot of arbitrary bullshit about like the character and less about the performance. Co-host, like, oh, you don't know what's gonna happen because the character did this in the movie. I'm like, tell me about the performance. But the character did this, and then Brandon was like, oh, my character, it did this. Okay. But what about the performance? Uh, that's how I felt about it, frankly. I thought this was kind of the weakest of the four, but maybe I'm just a cool bird. Uh, I went with Brandon because I think that Brandon was able to tell me Amy Ryan comes from comedy. She comes from other performances. You wouldn't expect this from her. And she turns in a performance where by the end of it, the, the way that she acts in the movie, you don't want the daughter to go back to her based on the performance and the character coho was able to just be like jeremy renner is in the movie and his character that's what i heard uh tell me if i'm crazy brian will go to you well yes you are um i do also want to comment that when you showed your answer for brandon no one seemed more surprised than brandon so, what? <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, I went the other way. I went Coho. So uh, Cody's going to get to decide this one. Um, for me, I think that it was just a matter of uh, 
I think Cole did a real good job attacking how Amy Ryan, as great as her performance is, it, it simply is kind of one one lane, one scene, one kind of style to it. Whereas with Renner, he was able to give a more varied performance because of the different kind of aspects of the character, the different kind of scenes, the different relationships that he has in the movie. And like he said in his closing, I think that Brandon didn't have as many attacks against Jeremy Renner as he did against Amy Ryan. Okay, Cody, are we going to the speed round or are we done? So Coho does a show with Boatman, and I watched it because I, I really, I really like the town, and I was curious. And he, Jeremy Renner, was brought up, and he's like, he's a, he's a, he's good, he's good, but he's not my personal top five for the year. Like he's fine, but Blake Lively's really good. So I'm surprised he didn't bring Blake Lively, which was compared to. I think the Amy Ryan Blake Lively comparison is a really strong point in this fight for one. I don't remember Koa saying which car we take in yours or mine, which was like if I missed that, but sorry, but that's a key point to the town. But I did go with Caleb because I think overall I think the like the structure of battling against both of them, I think he just had more hits and as he describes it, you know, Jeremy Renner in that movie does set the tension pretty well throughout. So I had to go with um, Coho. All right. Well, that means your winner is Caleb Coho. Moving on to round two of the tournament. We're going to start by talking to Brandon. Brandon, great job. A um, lot of split decisions today. I don't think we had a clean sweep across the board. Nope. So, um, and I can't, I'll look at the stats, but I don't think that's happened once this year, let alone this tournament. Um, so Brandon, how are you feeling about the match against Coho? All right. Um, a little disappointed. Um, I mean, I, I definitely agree with the decision. I don't think I performed the way I, uh, I I have in the past. I think Caleb, you know, had a, had a counterpunch for everything I had to say. Um, I just need to. I think next time get a little less cute with the answers. Um, you know, picking you know some of the you know going against you know obvious choices. I think the Gaston choice. Um, you guys picked the one I was trying to get to, but he immediately countered it with what I was trying to counter him with. Um, so just kind of get like, get you know back to the basics of just like not trying to overthink my picks, um, and just coming up with you know just I ha- I was able to get what I wanted to say for the most part. I wasn't really frustrated in this match, which was good. Like I have in matches in the yeah, past. Yeah, a good back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he never really stumped me. Just he was just he was more prepared. Um, I think, and just I need to just do better at just having more takedowns of in the Jeremy Renner one. I was hoping that one would it matter because like it's hard to find i think he is great in that movie and it's hard to find uh yeah you know a holes in that and i just did i couldn't find them and um that's what it came down to yeah brandon you did a great job today and uh we love having you here i'm looking forward to having you back later this season uh thank you for being here as we bring in the winner caleb co winning in round one your last match you lost against cody now you beat brandon you're moving on to round number two how are you feeling about the match and uh Overall, yeah. Um, I just I I was expecting to have to hit like the high gear, get aggressive, start like throwing in points and like the strategy I normally do with a lot of competitors by like the second question. Normally, then my first question is like I feel out what the energy is and what I need to bring. And Brandon is just so relaxed that I was just like, I don't think I need to be aggressive. <laughs> I was like, I think I can just like take a second and think and like just have a discussion debate, which I haven't had against a lot of competitors I've had to play because most people are able to like match my aggressive energy and we have to make it like a back and forth like with like Cody 
or like uh like where I have to be aggressive with Cody, Cody's aggressive with me, or like if I play Poet or Holtz, whatever. But like Brandon was just really like I think this was just like probably one of my like more favorite debates because I just felt like I was talking to like a, a cool dude about movies. <laughs> so like that was kind of nice. So I liked it. Um Brandon's got like a really like good conversational style of debate um that I was not prepared for and I had a great time playing against. Uh, but I think I think that he's gonna be a threat next time he comes back. Um, I think definitely I I did okay. <laughs> I did okay, but it was different for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you like having uh, conversational debates, sorry, because uh, in round number two you're going up against the number one seed, Bill Cariola. Oh boy, I'm so excited. I actually am really excited to play Bill because I feel like Bill and I are like very like similar levels of chaos. And, like, his chaos, though, is more like a refined chaos. And mine is just loud bludgeoning anger. And to see these two go at it, like, to see our two kind of debate styles go is going to be interesting. Um, I'm also just so prepared for him to finally get me to watch Hard Ticket to Hawaii so I can have to fight it for the first time. Uh, it's probably something I'm going to have to do. Um, but I am uh, I'm excited to play Bill. And, like, I'll say this. This is probably the most... This is the best I felt as a debater in a hot second. And maybe that's because like less trivia, more like watching and focusing on prep has like made it more engaging for me again. Yeah. But I, I, I want to win this tournament and I want to beat Cody so bad, to be honest with you. This is what I want. I'm in it. I'm in it to win it. I love the moxie. Koho, we'll see you in round number two. That just got me fucking hyped. Brian, let's get final thoughts from you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I thought it was a pretty close debate throughout. I mean, there's, there's a lot of times when like you see their, their picks in the chat and you can kind of tell, you know, I mean, you're going to listen to the debate and decide your, your pick then, but you can kind of say, well, that person's got kind of an uphill battle with that pick. You know, some of them just seem like the more, more fitting choice. Um, like you were talking about with the savages thing, but I thought actually all of the, all of them were very even picks and I didn't know where this one was going to go. Um, I think that, Coho, I think, played very smart. He talked about how he wasn't prepared for Brandon's style, but but the thing is he recognized that and he adapted it. He said, okay, I'm going to take this kind of approach and, and he was able to relax and kind of get into it. And I think that's very smart. I think it's part of debate is being able to adapt so you can like, you know, not be stuck in what you had prepared or the way you were going to present it, but instead to go with the flow of the debate. And was, good job. Yeah, absolutely. Cody, final thoughts from you and uh, apparently your future opponent, Caleb Coho. Well, I already beat him, so I'm not really worried about that. Um, but uh, overall, uh, Brandon, like, if, uh, again, this is a closer fight because, like, my two votes were for Brandon. So this would be going to the speed round if my vote only mattered. So I thought it was hey, a I lot. tried to give him the first question. You guys voted. I know. Him. I fucked that up. No, but uh, it was a lot closer than I thought it would be, like, with picks and choices. And um, they ended up trading each other on the first questions. Um, and so – that's the intense thing. And yeah, Coho, I hope you do win the tournament. Um, because hell, I'd rather play you than Jacoby again. I'll promise you that. So, <laughs> so either way, I will be waiting for whoever. Because I think this is my last judge. I cannot judge yeah, any passes point. So uh good luck to everybody else in the tournament because I'll be waiting at the end. That's true. All right. Well, thank you so much to Cody and Brian for judging this one. Thank you to Coho and Brandon. Uh, this has been Fans on Debate. We'll see you guys real soon with round number two. Thank you for watching. We'll see you next time. Bye. There we go. Thank you very much. Please come again. We have a lot more groceries.